Take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read on today, and today I want you to turn to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. Now, if you're not familiar with where the book of Mark is located, here's what I want you to do. If you're in a physical Bible, I want you to turn to the table of contents. You'll find that the Bible is broken up into two main sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, Mark is the second book of the New Testament. So locate the New Testament, find the book of Mark, and we're gonna be in chapter six. Now, if you're in an app, what I want you to do is pull down the list of the books of the Bible. Mark is located about two-thirds of the way down that list. It's uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, so that kind of gives you an idea of where it's located. Go to the book of Mark and click on chapter six, and you'll be right where you need to be. Now, have you ever experienced the power of God? Uh, I have in, in various moments of my life, but today's story, today's account of the life of Jesus is one where we see Jesus's power in a very clear way. And so rather than telling a story or, or something like that, I want to dive right into the text. So take your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 6, and we're going to begin in verse 32. So Mark chapter 6 verse 32 now give you some background on what's going on jesus has been working he's been doing ministry he's telling parables and ministering to people he's healing people and performing miracles um, and John the Baptist, who, by the way, is Jesus's uh, second cousin, uh, John the Baptist has also been ministering and doing a lot of work. And he and Jesus have had some exchanges uh, where John has pointed his followers to Jesus being the Messiah. And we find that John has spoken out against a king of that day and has been imprisoned and some circumstances take place. And John the Baptist is killed by this king, he's executed. And Jesus has just found out that John, his fellow minister and family member, has been killed, has been executed by the governing authorities. And then we find that he's kind of gone off by himself, but the crowd has followed him. So pick up with me in Mark chapter six, starting in verse 32. So Mark six, verse 32, it says this, and they, meaning Jesus and his disciples, they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd." And he began to teach them many things. And when, he, when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. <laughs> and they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. 
Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups in the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all and, he, and they all ate and were satisfied." And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were about 5,000 men. What an amazing, amazing miracle. But, but let's step back for just a moment. If you grew up in church or you spent a lot of time in church, you've probably heard this account of Jesus's life, this miracle, this huge miracle that Jesus performs. And I think when we hear uh, accounts of Jesus and miracles and works that he does, uh, I think sometimes we get used to them. We lose the awe of what has just taken place. So let's step back for just a moment. Imagine if you were one of the disciples, or, or better yet, imagine you're the little boy. So the, two, the five loaves and the two fish that we read about in Mark uh, is also mentioned in John chapter six. In John chapter six, it's mentioned that the, two, the five loaves and the two fish were basically the lunch that a boy had, a, a, a child. And he offers it up to Jesus and the disciples. So imagine being that boy. Imagine for a moment what it must have been like to, to say, yeah, here's my lunch. Uh, all I've got are five loaves and two fish. And to see Jesus go and disperse those five loaves and those two fish amongst this massive crowd of over 5,000 people. Can you fathom what that boy must have felt in that moment. Can you imagine the awe and the wonder that he and the disciples felt in looking out and seeing over 5,000 people being fed from one child's lunchbox? We kind of lose the amazement in that. But I can only imagine that that boy and the disciples walked away from this moment totally flabbergasted by what they've just experienced. They've been blown away by the fact that Jesus performed a miracle of this magnitude. And so this is a huge miracle in the life of Jesus. And let me tell you why I think this is so important. This miracle is the only miracle that is recorded in all four of what are called the Gospels. The Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, they're the four biographies of Jesus. Uh, and this is the only miracle that all four of those biographies record across the board. And so it's important, obviously, if all four uh, of the writers that tell the story of Jesus, if all four of them tell this account, obviously it's important to us. It, it's something that we need to pay attention to. Uh, and not only that, uh, as I mentioned just a moment ago, in Mark chapter 6 and also the account in Matthew chapter 14, we find that Jesus is performing this miracle immediately after finding out that his friend and family member, John the Baptist, has been executed by the government. Can you imagine how Jesus felt in this moment? 
the sorrow that he must have been dealing with inside, the sadness, the, the feeling of loss. You know, it's, it's very well recorded in the Gospels in all four of these accounts that Jesus wasn't looking to go do a miracle necessarily. He was actually looking for a, what Mark calls a desolate place, a place that was solitary, a place that was alone because I would imagine he wanted to process and mourn the death of John the Baptist. And yet Jesus performs this phenomenal miracle even in the midst of a difficult time in his own life. So let's talk for a moment about just how amazing this miracle is and how this miracle teaches us uh, to trust, to have faith in Jesus all the more. So this is the point where I wanna give you my big idea. And if you've ever watched any of my messages, you know that I give this big idea. It's a, uh, a single statement that kind of summarizes the main point of that message. And so today's big idea is this. Jesus's power is powerful to provide. Let me say that again. Jesus's power is powerful to provide. You see, Jesus has the power to provide for you. He does. I mean, after all, Jesus is the Son of God. He, he is God. And so, of course, he has the power. But I think all too many times we lose sight of that power. And we need to be reminded. I mean, that's, that's why God gave us this book, is to help us grow by reminding and teaching us the truth of what is here. And so let's talk about this for a second. So Jesus is uh, out ministering. He's gone off by himself. The crowd has followed him out and he sees a need. Mark 6 mentions that he had compassion for the people because they were like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, they were this group of people searching and they were lost but they had no one to lead them spiritually. They had no spiritual leader to guide them in all that they were needing to know about God so that they could follow God and be with God. And this miracle, in the midst of Jesus having compassion for the people, he performs this amazing miracle. And this miracle reveals a process that Jesus has for us to grow through his power. So I'm gonna give you a few steps. The first step that I want you to notice in this passage is that the disciples had to ask for help. And honestly, when you and I need Jesus's power in our life, the Bible is clear in saying that we need to go to him and ask for that help. Go read the book of Proverbs. Go read James chapter one. You'll see so many instances throughout God's word where it says, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. We are called to ask when we need help. So let's look at this passage. So open up your Bibles again, Mark chapter six. I want you to look with me in verse 35. Verse 35, it says, and when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. 
they had a need. They realized that it was getting late and the people needed to eat something. So they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, we're out in the middle of nowhere. There's no, nothing to eat out here. Let's take the people and send them out so that they can go find something to eat in the nearby countryside or in the, the towns that are close to here. They asked for help with a problem that they saw. When you struggle, when you go through difficulties, or when you have questions, do you go to the Lord in prayer with those difficulties and struggles and questions? And Jesus wants to hear from you. That's why he gave us prayer. Jesus wants us to reach out to him. He wants us to say, God, I need help with this. Jesus, I'm struggling or I have this question. Help me to understand. He wants us to go to him in prayer. Prayer helps us to depend on him rather than depending on our own wisdom and understanding and knowledge. And so we need to go to him. That's the first step. Ask for help when you need help with something. The second step is go out and do whatever it is that Jesus instructs you to do. So um, he didn't just see the need and immediately provide for the people. He didn't even take the suggestion that the disciples gave to him. He, he gave them new instruction. He gave them something to go and do, an action to take. So pick up your Bible again. Look with me in verse 37. Verse 37, he says this, but he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? So Jesus challenges them and they laughed him off. They look at him and say, you want us to gather up 200 denarii worth of food? 200 denarii. So denarii, denarii was basically roundabout, almost somewhere around a day's wages. So they're looking at Jesus and going, you want us to get two thirds of the year's worth of wages together and go and buy food for the people and bring it back? Like, how are we gonna do that? Where is that gonna come from? They, they, they couldn't believe that Jesus would even ask that kind of a question. They did not see the possibility. They didn't comprehend how Jesus could meet the need that they saw in front of them. And so they doubted. But look what happens next. Verse 38. Verse 38 says, And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. He takes the impossible and makes it possible. 
There's no way in the world that five loaves and two fish could feed over 5,000 people. Uh, That would be one loaf for every thousand people that were there. And the most scholars, most people who study this passage believe that there were actually probably closer to maybe seven or 8,000 people because it says there were 5,000 men. So that's 5,000 men, not counting the women and children that were also there. So there were far more than 5,000 people and Jesus feeds them with five loaves of bread and two fish. How many times have you refused Jesus's instruction to your life because you thought it was impossible? How many times has God given you a big vision or a a big goal or something that was far too large for your mind to comprehend? And he said, go and do this. And you kind of sat back and went, I can't do that. That's impossible. The Bible's very clear that what is impossible with men is possible with God. Sometimes Jesus is gonna ask you something that may seem impossible. Or maybe the harder question for us today is how many times has Jesus asked you to do something because you've asked him for something, but he's answered you to fix it or, or to take care of that, that problem you have, but the way he asks you to do it is not the way you want to do it. So you don't. How many times do we get so wrapped up in the way we want Jesus to operate or we want Jesus to answer our questions or our prayers and we get so wrapped up in the way we want it that we ignore the way Jesus wants it. I think that's a challenge that we all need to process through day in and day out is not God, let me do it my way, but saying, God, I don't see it that this is possible Or God, I I want to do this, but I want to do it my way. Instead, saying, God, I'm just going to fully submit to you and your power. Remember, Jesus' power is powerful to provide. Jesus' power is all that we need. We don't need anything else to do the work that Jesus has in front of us other than his power and his instruction, his guidance, his wisdom. So what is Jesus challenging you to do? So let's keep going. So the first step was we ask for help. So the disciples went to Jesus and said, man, we need to send these people out so that they can go to the surrounding area and get some food. The second step is go out and do whatever it is that Jesus instructs you to do. And so Jesus says, well, why don't you guys feed them? And they, they balk at the idea. And then he, in his power, feeds over 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. Then the third step, realize what he's done and how he's used 
you. Realize what he's done and how he's used you. Can you imagine the young boy and the disciples and all the people who watched this miracle play out? Can you imagine what they thought in that moment? Can you imagine how awestruck they must have been at the work that Jesus had just done? Look with me in verse, starting in verse 42. So Mark chapter six, starting in verse 42, it says this, and they all ate and were satisfied. Now let me stop there for just a minute. When it says that they all ate and they were satisfied, this book, the book of Mark, was written originally in Greek. And the Greek word here for satisfied that we're reading in, reading in our English translations, that Greek word means that they ate their fill, like they were full. It doesn't mean that they ate just enough to not be hungry anymore. It means that they ate so much that they're laying on that green grass going, oh, that was so good. They weren't just okay. They weren't just not hungry anymore. They were full. So pick up with me. Verse 43 is where we're at now. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. You see, Jesus did this huge, huge work. He didn't give them just enough to get by. He filled them to their satisfaction. Jesus wants us to have life and to have it to the fullest. And that's what we've been talking about a lot over the last few weeks, about how Jesus' call is not just for us to get a ticket into heaven, but to live a life that is changed here on this earth and in that life change to lead others to that life-changing hope of Jesus. You see, that's what it means to follow Jesus. We trust him. We can live a life of expectation when we follow Jesus. Not just a life of saying, Jesus, I hope you do just enough to get by, but a, a life that says, Jesus, I can't wait to see what you're gonna do today. I can't wait for you to knock my socks off today with the miracles that you're gonna perform in my life and in the lives of those around me because you are powerful. That's what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to recognize and realize what he's doing in our lives and recognize how he's using us to do that and to change the lives, to be instruments of change in the lives around us. We can live a life of expectation, expectation that Jesus is going to do something amazing through our lives. So when was the last time that you said, Jesus, do something today. Help me to recognize today what you're going to do. Help me to see those opportunities to share your life-changing hope with those around me. That's what he calls us to do. That's the work that he has in front of us. And he is powerful enough to fulfill that in each one of our lives. But are you willing 
to submit to him and do it the way that he wants to do it. He can change your life and he can change the lives of the people around you. Do you believe in that? Do you believe that Jesus has the power to do great works in your life and the lives around you? Do you believe in Jesus's power? Let me give you some examples. Do you believe that Jesus has the power to save you, to rescue you from your sins and the consequences of your sins? Have you ever stepped into a life-changing relationship with Jesus? And has it changed your life? Because let's be honest for a minute, knowing having head knowledge that there was a guy who lived over 2,000 years ago uh, and was, did, did a lot of cool things, that's not enough to be saved from your sins. Knowing theology, knowing what the Bible says is not enough to save you from your sins. It's a life-changing relationship with Jesus that saves us that rescues us from our sins. See, uh, let me make it very clear. If you've never made a decision for Jesus, or maybe you're sitting there today and you're questioning about whether or not you truly have had your life changed by him, let me speak into that for just a moment. Jesus was and is the son of God, and he lived a perfect, sinless life. And it's because of that sinless life that Jesus is able was able to die on a cross and that death be a sacrifice to forgive us of our sins. Now, sin is when we disobey God, when we uh, do things that are not right. And the consequence of our sins is that we suffer and we will eternally suffer. You see, when you die, when I die, there is a destination for each and every one of us. And if there's not enough good works, you can't donate enough money, you can't be a good enough person to earn your way into heaven, into that perfect existence for eternity. It's only through a relationship with Jesus that you can have eternity with him. Otherwise, you will live out the consequences of your sin by living in eternal suffering instead of eternal perfection. And here's what the Bible says about being rescued, being saved from your sins. If you will believe with all of your mind and your heart that Jesus is who he said he was, that he was and is the son of God, that he was sinless, that his teachings guide us uh, into how to live our lives for him. If you'll believe that he died on a cross to save you from your sins, that he rose from the grave on the third day after that death in victory over sin and death, that he sits in heaven right now, that there was a point where he ascended into heaven and right now he is on a throne ruling and that at some point, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. If you will believe that and you will let Jesus change your life because you make him the Lord of your life and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you will believe and confess, you can be saved, you can be rescued and you can spend eternity in perfection in heaven with your Lord and your Savior. Now, you may be listening to this and you may have questions 
or maybe you're ready to make a decision for Jesus right now. Let me speak to you very clearly right now. If you have questions or you wanna make a decision for Jesus, we've got pastors standing by right now. I want you to stop what you're doing. I want you to send an email to the email that's on the screen right now. I want you to send an email and somebody will reach out to you and would love to answer any questions that you might have about a life-changing relationship with Jesus. So stop what you're doing. Don't hesitate. Go ahead and stop. Send an email to us and let us begin that conversation with you. We want to connect with you and help you in your journey with Jesus. So do you believe in Jesus's power to save you. That was the first thing. The second thing is, do you believe in the power of Jesus to provide for you? Whether it be physical needs, whether it be mental or emotional needs, whether it be spiritual needs, do you believe that Jesus has the power to provide? You see, Jesus's power in your life does not mean that your life is going to be perfect and you're gonna be rich and healthy from this point forward. Quite the contrary, life is going to be hard, but Jesus guarantees that he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. From this point forward, if you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus's power will provide his presence. He will walk with you, he will support you, he will grow you and make you more like him. And again, then you will have the reward of eternity in heaven. Do you believe that he has the power to provide? Will you believe in him enough to let him enable you to live like him so that you can lead every generation to the life-changing hope of Jesus? Will you trust him enough to live that way? with a singular focus on how to lead people to him, how to be more like him. Will you live your life that way? You see, if you believe in Jesus' power, I've got a question for you. What are you doing about it? If you say, yes, I believe in the power of Jesus, great, that's amazing, but what are you doing about the power of Jesus in your life? If you only, if you trust in Jesus truly, it means that your life will look differently. So will you trust him with your life? Will you trust him with your family and with your other relationships? Will you trust him with your finances? Will you trust him with the world around you and what you see? Will you trust him with your future? If you trust him, act on that trust. Live in and through that trust because Jesus wants to do amazing things through you. He wants to produce fruit, like we've been talking about for three weeks now. He wants to produce fruit in you. 
And that doesn't mean that he wants you to be uh, only a moral person or that he only wants you to know theology and the things of the Bible. It means that he wants us to take his relationship, his knowledge, his theology, what he tells us in his word, and he wants to change our lives so that our changed lives will in turn be a conduit of change for the lives of others through Jesus. But if you're not willing to trust him enough to be used by him, that's never gonna happen. So will you trust him enough to let your life be changed and for you to act on that life change? Join me in prayer. Almighty God, thank you so much for today. We thank you that you are all-powerful. You are also all-knowing and all-present and unchanging and perfect in all your ways. And Lord, we thank you for that. And we pray that that power, that knowledge, that wisdom, uh, that unchangeableness that you have, that perfection that is within you, Lord, that those things would change us and that we would live for you and you alone leading every generation to the life-changing hope of Jesus through our belief, through our growth, through our connection, and through our serving. Lord, we thank you, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.